Welcome to another episode of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and this is episode 44. And what you just heard was the last words of Scott Hall during his Hall of Fame induction speech a few years ago. And those words ring through now more than ever because this past Monday, one week ago, we lost the bad guy, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon. He passed away, and we were all very Saturn uh, about this, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't see a dry eye in the house, in the house on Facebook or any form of social media. Um, we're jumping right into the quick hits here, folks. So pop open your favorite frosty beverage and listen to me spew my venom, my hate, and my love for the world of professional wrestling. Uh, quick hit number one is the passing of Scott Hall. At 64 years old, Scott Hall, after taking a fall and breaking his head, um, had surgery and then reluctantly passed away, as I said, one week ago. Wrestlers such as Kevin Nash and Sean Waltman were keeping us in the loop as to what was going on. He was pulled off life support. He managed to fight for two more days, ladies and gentlemen, and finally could not succumb. He, he finally just gave away, gave away and passed away. I remember seeing Scott Hall for the very first time in 1991 in WCW as the Diamond Stud with Diamond Dallas Page by his side. Um, one of the biggest wrestlers I'd seen at the time, size-wise. You know, my me being a small child at the time, 11 years old, 10 years old, I saw this six foot ten, seven foot guy, big muscles crazy looking oily hair and you know he beating the crap out of his opponents scott hall was one of the best inside the ring at that time um but he wasn't really getting anywhere in wcw he was beating the likes of uh tom zink and you know um who else was there van hammer you know what i mean he wasn't beating anybody at the top and then he disappeared and these vignettes started in late 1992 93 for a new wrestler who was coming to the WWE. And I said this on um, Aaron Maxson's podcast uh, the year it was, when I saw it and I heard the voice, I saw the, the stature and the face, I was like, hey, that's the Diamond Stud. And then, of course, he debuted as um, Razor Ramon, the bad guy, the toothpick, the gold chains, the vest, the outfits, the, the unbridled enthusiasm he had when he walked to that ring the charisma was nothing that anyone else had his matches with Shawn michaels kevin nash sean waltman and that was just the click <laughs> he had a lot of great matches with so many other wrestlers such as savio vega uh ahmed johnson uh, you know gold shane douglas as dean douglas at his time in the wwe wwf um, it was unbelievable. And, um, yeah, it hit hard losing somebody. Um, we all said it over the last few days, a week's time. You lose somebody like um, Bobby Heenan. And 
because you heard his voice your entire career, your entire life in wrestling for his entire career, it hurts, but you realize, well, he was old when I got there. <laughs> no offense to Bobby. You lose somebody like a Buddy Rogers or a, you know, just, you know, for namesake, Bruno San Martino, it doesn't hit that hard because I wasn't watching back then. But when one of your guys that you used to cheer for and um, actually enjoyed watching had his action figures when you were little, I still have his action figures now as I'm older. It's just unbelievable. Rest in peace, Scott Hall. Peace on your family. I pray for them. And thank you for everything you ever did inside and outside the wrestling ring that allowed us to enjoy your career. Um, thank you for changing the business in 1996 when you went back to WCW and you said those famous line, those, those famous words, that, that line of, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. At the time we didn't, but now here 30 years later, we do know exactly why he was there and we know what he did. So rest easy, Scott. Uh, peace to Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, the entire clique, and all of the other wrestlers in the world that Scott Hall had a positive um, reaction to their careers, or even a negative one, because at least he touched them in some way. <laughs> Quick hit number two. The Briscoe brothers may not be getting signed by AEW, and it is because of a Time Warner executive who's holding the Briscoe brothers liable for some homophobic slurs that Jay Briscoe uttered quite a few years ago. And they feel that if even if Jay Briscoe were to come to the company and nobody at the time realized that this happened, someone would dig deep enough and find it somewhere down the road and be smart to both the company and the Briscoes at the same time. Um, Jay actually apologized a month later after he made those slurs all those years ago and recently re-apologized for said slurs, saying that he does not think that way anymore. He was a young, naive kid when he first said it, and he just wants the opportunity to be where the absolute best are wrestling. Um, now... I am not someone who goes on witch hunts. I don't believe that people should be uh, held responsible for their words 30 years later. You know what I mean? If you said something when you were 12 years old, and just because we have social media, <laughs> just because we have social media, it doesn't mean that somebody should be able to go back into your social media 20 years later and look at what you said and then use it against you, in my opinion. Especially... If you have not said those same exact words ever again or done anything idiotic, racist, homophobic, or in any way, shape, or form rude to anybody else since that happened. When you were 12, 15, 20, it doesn't matter your age. I don't feel that your words in the past should be used against you. Um, history, you know, there was always a saying when I was growing up, um, know your history because you might be doomed to repeat it. Um, well, I don't feel that our past history should be doomed to be brought back on us and made us to have to um, deal with issues. 
uh, as such. Um, again, I'm not condoning what Scott said, what the, what you know Jay Briscoe said, but what I am saying is, is that it was so long ago. Let Sleeping Dog lies. He has apologized, and let's give him at least one more opportunity. Third and final quick hit of this evening. The rumors continue to circulate that Cody Rhodes has signed with the WWE. As of this recording, there have been uh, quite a bit of different reports that Cody has signed a contract with the WWE, and they are not sure on whether he will show up Monday night on Raw or at WrestleMania. Now, we both know that Seth Rollins is without a partner. There's been a lot of room uh, without a partner for WrestleMania. When I say partner, I mean a opponent. Um, and there's been a lot of, again, rumors and, and hearsay that Seth and Cody would end up hooking up and having a match at WrestleMania, um, which wouldn't be a bad matchup. I think they could definitely pull it off a show stealer. But honestly and truthfully, I don't know that I want Cody back in the WWE selfishly because I know what they did to him the first time. Um, the roots that he built in AEW are a lot stronger than he built in the WWE. And I just think that we're going to see him go through the motions again before they feed him to Randy Orton one more time. And then he's back to being Stardust. So whatever the case may be, though, Cody Rhodes is a grown-ass man. He'd make his own decisions. And he obviously doesn't listen to me because he doesn't know who I am. Um, but in any indication, if Cody does come back to the um, world of sports and entertainment, I do hope that he is given a fair shake this time, like a Drew McIntyre, and not an uneven shake like a Christian. So, Godspeed, Cody. I hope you know exactly what you're doing this time around. And that will do it for Quick Hits. We move on to our next part of the show, where I will be reviewing this week's action on NXT, Dynamite, and Rampage. So let's go ahead and start off with NXT 2.0. We get a highlight package from last week's NXT title triple threat match. And Ziggler's acceptance speech. Still not happy about this title change. Really not. Wait, did I put on Raw, Raw instead? So we're getting Miz TV on NXT with Dolph Ziggler. Oh, I get it. NXT is now Sunday Night Heat. Only on Tuesday. I get it. Ziggler comes to the ring to the ring dressed like a soccer mom who decided to attend your prom. Uh, black suit jacket and leopard pants. Way to go, Dolph. Uh, Miz informs Ziggler that Broadbreaker is barred from the arena, and he's safe. This is just horrid, but oh, LA Knight, thank you for interrupting. LA Knight comes out to save the day and challenges Dolph Ziggler to a title match later on this evening. After some back-and-forth jabs, we, we do get an agreement. It will de- be Dolph Ziggler taking on LA Knight for the NXT title later on this evening. Now, I have no delusions of grandeur. I do not expect LA Knight to beat Dolph the first week that he's NXT champion, but at least it's something. That should be a great matchup, if anything. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams come to ringside for the first North American title match uh, qualifier that will be for the ladder match that will be happening Um at um, NXT Stand and Deliver. And then we go to a commercial break and we come back. Cora Jade explains her actions from last week and has all of the women's titles hostage. She's hoping Toxic Attraction come to find her instead of her having to find them. 
Um, then we get Cameron Grimes versus uh, Santos Escobar. First qualifying match for the NXT North American title ladder match. Uh, very enjoyable opening match. Both wrestler styles complemented each other and the match speed for speed. Grimes had the upper hand, but Escobar's goons caused a distraction and allowed Santos to get the win in the 15-minute mark. Well done, NXT. Good way to open up a show. We see pre-recorded comments from Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray. When we come back, they shift the toxic attraction questioning Dakota Kai and Wendy Cho about Cora Jade. They don't know where she is, so they walk off. And then we come back to now a kid, a debuting star from the uh, NXT UK brand. He takes on Kushida. It's a debut, and as I said, he's going against the incredible talented Kushida. Slow start, both guys using ground moves. Huge dropkick by a kid, and then he puts Kushida on shaky legs, and then out of nowhere hits this huge top rope DDT and gets the win in four minutes. Good match, but I wanted more. You've got Kushida, a seven-time IWGP champion, and a kid who was doing incredible things in NXT UK. You give him four minutes? Goddamn. Escobar says he's on the path to regaining his North American championship, and then Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio walk up because, well, that's what happens now. Uh, before long, Dominic challenges one of Legato, and Mendoza accepts later. Tuesday Night Heat just doesn't have to have just doesn't have a good ring to it, ladies and gentlemen. Not liking it one bit. Tiffany Stratton takes on Saraya next, and it's the Spoiled Rich Girl versus Harriet Potter. Stratton showing off uh, some of her good offense, actually. Incredible double flip uh, elbow handstand in the corner. Tiffany then hit a weird-looking corkscrew in the corner and got the win in three minutes. So, kind of cringy, and I, I get it. We're in that microwave match mode where everything will last no more than five minutes. I understand NXT. Let's get through it then. Walter, because I won't call him anything else, approaches LA Knight. He says Knight doesn't deserve his title shot, but if he wins, Walter is coming for his title. We then see Tommaso Ciampa making his way to the ring. JC Jane is seen looking for Cora. She spots her belt, uh, her tag team title hanging in the boiler room, and inspects whether it's a trap. Well, it is, and she gets locked in the cage by Cora Jade. Well done, young lady. Ciampa has made his way to the ring. And the only person that's still in NXT is this man. He is still NXT personified, in my opinion. Ciampa talks about his career in NXT and is uncertain to where to go to next. Tony D'Angelo interrupts and issues a challenge for NXT stand and deliver. They shake hands and then Tony D with a low blow. He then redoes the Godfather Part 2 scene uh, that it was only you, Kratos, you know, kisses Ciampa on the cheek. It, it's it was bad it was terrible acting don't do that anymore tony please stick to wrestling my god indy hartwell then took on parada uh parada shows off her power and has control for the entire match nice snake eyes by parada and only a two count here do cuts and comes out uh but then he's joined by dexter loomis right behind him uh this distraction allowed indy to get the win in four minutes and then we go to the post-match where everyone makes out and Way Barrett goes crazy on commentary. Um, okay. I, I, I guess. Um, Cora Jade then locks Gigi Dolan in a giant garbage can and says it's time to find Mandy. Uh, Gigi was, didn't want to get into the garbage can in the first place. It was actually very funny. This has been the highlight of the evening for me. 
uh, except for that 15-minute opener that we saw. Um, and, I mean, it's the only good things going on here tonight, folks. Mendoza then took on Dominic Mysterio. Good back-and-forth Lucha-style match. Alexa tried to interfere, but it didn't work. Dominic hit the frog splash and got a big win here on Heat. I mean, here on NXT. We see an emotional highlight package of the career of Scott Hall. Great remembrance by the WWE of the bad guy here. They they truly showed us everything we, we remembered. We loved about Scott Hall in that couple of minutes. Well done. Well done, WWE. Corey Jade finally found Mandy Rose, and Rose left her laying. Mandy challenges Cora for the standing liver pay-per-view. Great way to end this segment. Uh, I think Mandy needed to be the aggressor, and I think both of these women are going to have a great matchup at NXT Stand and Deliver. I'll go into that a little later on once we are done with the NXT uh, review here. Um, but that should be a, a phenomenal matchup. Creed Brothers are out to find out who attacked them last week. MSK makes their way to the ring. And again, uh, the Creeds want to know, wants to let the Creeds know that it wasn't them. Uh, Imperium's out next, and they say, let's make it a triple threat match at Stand and Deliver. Why have all this back and forth? Yes, please. Three of the top tag teams in this brand going at it for the NXT tag team titles. I'm all for it. Main event time, LA Knight takes on Dolph Ziggler. Um, let's see if Knight can save NXT. Knight in control, throwing Dolph for a loop. Ziggler tries to make a comeback, but Knight won't allow it. We once again see Rude get involved. This allows Ziggler to hit his finisher and get another solid win in a 19-minute main event. Very well done. <laughs> I have no complaints about the main event. A couple of other things in between. Post-match, Braun Breaker shows up and challenges Ziggler for standing deliver. Rude tries to attack, but Braun lays him out. And as that's it, as we go off the air, in my opinion, though, I give this episode of NXT a 2.5 out of 5. Two good matches and two good promos, but bad definitely outweighed the good here on this particular Tuesday night. On um, What I wanted to talk about is NXT standing deliver will be on Saturday afternoon, just before night one of Mania. So that means in the course of three days, I'm going to have NXT Stand and Deliver, WrestleMania night one, and WrestleMania night two to review. I'm not sure if I want to make that one big show, or if I'm going to piece it out and do two shows. I have yet to decide. Uh, I may leave it up to you guys, though, to decide on the page. I'll put up a poll, and you guys let me know. One or two nights of NXT and WWE WrestleMania night one and night two or two nights completely up to you. Moving on now to AEW dynamite. And we have opening six man tag with Adam Cole and red dragon taking on Adam page and Jurassic express. Cole started out with jungle boy and kept the youngster grounded speed picked up and we saw a triple moonsault by page and Jurassic express. Everyone traded finishers, and then we saw a double doomsday device by Jungle Boy off the shoulders of Luchasaurus and Adam Page. Cole snuck around and hit the boom and stole the win at the 18-minute mark in a great opening matchup. Tony Schiavone then interviewed Keith Lee, Ricky Starks, and Powerhouse Hobbs. Both parties agree they'll see each other Friday night on Rampage. We got a feeling we're going to see some kind of implosion happening on Friday night. Then we go to Danielson and Moxley taking on Chuck T and Utah of the Best Friends. Regal is on commentary, and this should be good. Moxley and Danielson attack immediately. Utah made a comeback for his team and began to shine in this one. Danielson finally brings him down 
kicks him in the head, and Moxley applies the Bulldog Sleeper to get the win in 10 minutes, another solid matchup. Post-match, Yuta gets back into the ring and offers William Regal his hand, but Regal smacks him down and leaves everyone stunned. Now, the announcers were talking about that. Regal was hoping that when he smacked John Moxley or Daniel uh, Brian Danielson in the face at uh, Revolution, that one of them were going to hit him. Uh, he, they, I guess he felt the same way about Willie Yuta, and Yuta held back. Maybe that's showing Regal something, a respect line or something to that effect, but whatever the case may be, if William Regal ever ends up bringing Willie, Willie Yuta along with Danielson and Moxley, I have to say that would make for some great learning experience for young Wheeler Yuta. Tony talks to FTR to find out why they fired Tully Blanchard, but the Young Bucks interrupt. They tease a certain best there was, being FTR's new manager, but says it won't matter. The Acclaim say that Max uh, will go through Keith Lee easier than, and they get interrupted by Ricky Starks, who then interrupts is interrupted by Shane Strickland. Basically, Ricky Starks was letting Max Caster know that he hopes he can go through Keith Lee, and if he did, he would consider it a personal favor. Shane Strickland, though, lets Ricky Starks that maybe Friday nights is now the Swerve Show because he's got a win on there, and he is now here firmly in, in, in AEW. Uh, AEW is getting a bit crowded, though, it seems. There's too many interruptions going on, ladies and gentlemen. And here comes the Jericho Appreciation Society. Someone shoot the guy who came up with that name, please. Jericho talks about his connection to each member and what he's done for them. He then says that they aren't wrestlers, they're sports entertainers. This gets major heat. Uh, he says this is the reinvention of the master manipulator, and that's entertainment. Maybe this could be good, because that was a very great promo. And <laughs> we got new names for 2.0. And Daniel Garcia got put over. Even Jake Hager got a little bit of the rub again. This could be really, really good for all involved, including Jericho himself. Uh, Wardlow then took on Scorpio Sky. And let me tell you something here. Dan Lambert is wearing one of the TNT titles, and the announcers don't like it, neither do I. I don't know why we have both of the TNT titles uh, since Cody Rhodes lost his to um, Sammy Guevara in that ladder match. But whatever the case, Dan Lambert should not be wearing it. Wardlow took control for the first couple minutes of this match, but American Top Team allowed Sky to gain the advantage. Sky had most offense I've seen against Wardlow and began to get cocky. Sky went for his TKO, but uh, Wardlow reversed it into a spinebuster and was setting up for his powerbomb and nailed it. We got three more, and then Lambert got on the apron. Sky went to the outside. Sean Spears appeared, and MJF attacked, driving Wardlow head first into the steel post, which allowed Sky to put Wardlow back into the ring and gain a huge victory in his first TNT title match. That's right. Wardlow is the man who's only lost to CM Punk, has now lost to Scorpio Sky, too. Post-match, American top team, MJF and Sean Spears try and keep the big guy down, but Wardlow fought back until Spears hit him with the chair. Uh, MJF then paid off Dan Lambert, and this allowed the rest of them to beat uh, down Wardlow and continue on. Uh, we got a ton of ways to go from here, but I have to say, very good way to start off the Wardlow-MJF feud. Well done in uh, AEW. Jade Cargill puts the roster on notice and wants to know who's going to be her 30th victim. 
And then the Hardy Boys take on Private Party in the Hardy's AEW in-ring debut. Good back and forth match. Private Party proving that they learned from Matt Hardy. Jeff Hardy made a comeback. Matt hit the twist of fate. Jeff hit the swanton bomb. And the Hardy Boys get the win in 12 minutes. Post-match, Andrade and company come to the ring and surround it, uh, attempting to get at the Hardy Boys. But Sting and Darby Allen hit the ring and make the save. I'm liking the um, the official countdown here, and I'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> Red Velvet lets us know that she'll be taking on Layla Hirsch uh, in another pointless match. I think this is number eight for them, but whatever the case may be, they'll be doing battle on Rampage later on uh, in the show. Um, here on the show, of course, then it was Friday night. <laughs> uh, and then we go to our main event. Thunder Rosa taking on Britt Baker inside a steel cage for the AEW Women's Championship. They gave these women 30 minutes inside the cage and the main event spot, and they did not disappoint. They threw chairs, thumbtacks, and everything else they had at each other. Both women bled, but it only made them fight harder. Both felt the tacks, but Baker fell into the chairs, and that looked sickening the way she went spine first on the top of one of those stacked chairs. Rosa hit the Thunder Driver, and that was it. Your winner and new AEW Women's Champion, Thunder Rosa. It has been a year of battling between these two, and Thunder Rosa has finally won the AEW Women's title. Unbelievable match and great feud storyline that has been told for, as I said, one year between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. I give Dynamite five out of five this week. I honestly have no complaints. Anything that may have been a little bit boring or a little overdone, was overtooken about how great every match was, and some of those promos were too. So five out of five here for AEW this week. And that takes us now to Dynamite, ladies and gentlemen. AEW Dynamite, Darby Allen taking on The Butcher. Um, we went straight to the ring to start the show, and I always liked that. Um, I have to say, though, that these two really didn't mesh well. Uh, Allen's quickness kept throwing Butcher off, and they seemed like they were way off on timing. Darby got the win with by countout, and this was not the right choice for opening match, in my opinion. Post-match, Andrade and the rest of his family surrounded the ring just like they did on Wednesday, trying to get at Sting and Darby Allen. The Hardy Boys hit the ring and make the save just like Darby and Sting did on Wednesday night. And Matt Hardy laid out a challenge for an eight-man tag. Darby, Sting, and the Hardy Boys to take on the Butcher, Blade, and Private Party. And like I said, I am just loving the countdown. To Sting and Darby Allen versus the Hardy Boys, folks, because that is what all this is leading to. But that's okay. That should be an incredible matchup. We then go to the ring for Red Velvet and Layla Hirsch. And as I said, I believe this is match number eight between these two. Once again, it wasn't anything great. Chris Statlander stopped Layla from using a foreign object. This distracted her long enough for Layla to hit a roll-up and get the win for a three-count. This hasn't been our regular rampage so far, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what to say. The House of Black take on Bear Country and Fuego. Uh, now, this I'm amped for because Malachi Black, Buddy, uh, uh, Buddy Murphy, and Brody King have been a great force so far. Um, Bear Country tried to use their size, but Brody King got the hot tags and proved he was bigger. He flung the Bears and Fuego all around like they weighed the same thing. Uh, Buddy Matthews is already showing his great skill and only being here for two weeks. And Black, well, Black is Black. 
Uh, he's ominous in calculating. Matthews got the win after his finisher, and his team get a great win here on AEW Rampage. This is what I like to see. Mark Henry then does a split-screen interview with Keith Lee and Max Caster. Caster messes with Keith a bit, but Sir Limitless says he is ready. So we go to the ring for our main event. <laughs> Keith Lee taking on Max Caster. Max Caster continues to make me laugh during his ring entrances and impresses me once he's in the ring. He gave Keith a fight, but Lee just kept going and bursting through him, uh, his opponent like a linebacker through the front line. Lee hit a pop of powerbomb and his fireman carrying to the jackhammer, and Keith gets the win, his second here on Rampage. Um, Post-match, Hobbs and Starks obviously hit the ring as they promised they would do to attack Lee, but Shane Strickland made the save. I give Rampage a three this year, uh, this week. Uh, why? Well, I mean, there were two good matches and two bad matches, so okay, that's 50-50. But, um, you know, I, I wanted more. I'm used to AEW Rampage being a powerhouse show for the one hour it's on, and it was just kind of lackluster this week, so nothing special. But they could rebound next week. I'm not holding it against them. It's the first time we've had a bad Rampage ever since its inception. That will bring us to our final segment of the evening, ladies and gentlemen. And that is Grinds My Gears. What grinds my gears this evening are wrestlers who never got a chance to be world heavyweight champion. There is a long laundry list of wrestlers on this list. Ted DiBiase, Kurt Henning, Scott Hall, may he rest in peace. As well, Ms. Kurt Henning, may he rest in peace. Um, Andre the Giant actually never held the WWF World Heavyweight title. Roddy Piper, Jake the Snake Roberts. It made no sense to me, those names that I just said, and the only ones that I can even maybe put up an argue for. Well, Kurt Henning held the AWA World Heavyweight Champion. Andre the Giant did beat Hulk Hogan for the World Heavyweight title, but he sold it to Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase was one of the biggest heels going in WWE just before, in between WrestleMania 3 and WrestleMania 4. DiBiase should have, in all for intents and purposes, beaten Hulk Hogan and won the WWF World Heavyweight Champion and held it for at least six months, ending in a feud with Hogan at Mania. But Hogan didn't want to do the job. Kurt Henning, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect, came into the WWE boasting as being the most perfect superstar ever, held the Intercontinental title like nobody else, did things that nobody else can do in the ring, and it was all supposed to lead him to a matchmaking feud with Hulk Hogan where he would beat Hogan and then lose it back to Hogan at Mania once again, but after having a six-month-to-a-year title reign. That didn't happen because Hogan didn't want to do the job. Jake the Snake Roberts, another 80s superstar, was supposed to become a heel, as he did, and go directly after Hulk Hogan, taking him out, and even having him be injured to where he couldn't defend the title. Strip Hogan the title, have a tournament. Jake wins the belt. Jake goes on to be champion. Hogan comes back, takes the belt away from Jake. I'm just matchmaking here, folks, but it puzzles me that that didn't happen. 
And then you look at Roddy Piper, who beat Hulk Hogan numerous times, had countless matches with Hogan, not just in the 70s, not just in the 80s, but in the 90s as well. According to him, if you ask him, he's just as big of an icon as Hulk Hogan. But he never got a chance to be the World Heavyweight Champion, not in the WWF, not in WCW. And then there's Scott Hall. <coughs> Scott Hall in the WWF had all the makings of a World Heavyweight Champion. He was a five-time Intercontinental Champion in WWF. And then in WCW, a United States World Television and five-time World Tag Team Champion. All the makings to be World Heavyweight Champion in WWF. Why wasn't he given the title? Vince McMahon felt that he was not trustworthy enough to hold the belt. God damn it, I'm about to drop the ball on all of you. I'm a Shawn Michaels fan. But even I know Shawn Michaels was just as big of, if not a bigger drug addict than Scott Hall at the time in 1993, 94, 95. And if you were trusting Shawn Michaels to be your company's world heavyweight champion when he was a drug addict, why couldn't you give it to Scott Hall then? They both knew where each other were. It's not like one of them was going to get lost without the other. Why not let him hold the title and see where it goes? But then he gets to WCW. He does all the nice and nice things, outsiders, tag team titles, whatever have you. He wins World War III. Why not give him the title then when he fought Sting for the belt? Why not let Scott Hall be the one leading the NWO for a little while? See, wrestlers will always say, well, this guy was a political wrestler. This guy did politics. This guy did BS. That guy did BS. I agree. But a lot of times those same politics came back to bite wrestlers in the ass. That's where I go with with Scott Hall, because for all the creative control the NWO had, Hall could not book himself to a world heavyweight title because he just wasn't that type of guy. He wouldn't allow himself to even be put over just because. Scott Hall passing away, having never been a world heavyweight champion, is a crime. Same goes for Kurt Henning. Roddy Piper as well. Uh, Jake Roberts, we all know that. What happened there? DiBiase, Rick Rude. There are guys on this list that I could just keep going and going and going. But whatever the case may be, sometimes the Booker man can be a stupid man and does not allow wrestlers to go over when they're supposed to. And all that ends up doing is biting them in the ass. Because I guarantee you that Scott Hall, as Razor Ramon, would have been a better world heavyweight champion than Diesel was. Because during the one-year title reign of Kevin Nash, WWE was in the toilet. During HBK's first title run, WWE was in the toilet. During Sid's first title run, WWE was in the toilet. So, what was the big deal to give Scott a whole chance? On the bright side, though, what I will say, though, is that if Scott Hall becomes World Heavyweight Champion in WWF, maybe he doesn't leave. 
Maybe Nash doesn't leave either. And then we don't get the NWO. Them not leaving, we don't get Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, or Triple H the way that they were supposed to be. So maybe these things happen for a reason. Who knows? All I know is it sucks that we hear a guy like Scott Holt passes away. And when you look at his in-ring career, you don't see one world heavyweight title. So that is going to do it for me this evening. As always, thank you guys for listening to this show and all the shows under the banner of the We Can't Wrestle podcast and the uh, WrestleNet Radio umbrella. Um, Join me next week. We'll be right back here doing it all over again, talking about the absolute best from AEW and NXT. You never know what little surprises might pop up as well. I will be posting the poll on Tuesday evening. You guys let me know how you want me to handle WrestleMania and NXT when they both air, if you want to do one or two shows. And I guess I'll, I'll see you next time on If You Smell, what the arch is cooking.